This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. All day long, the caravans and travelers would have been drifting in and out of the town, always watching you as you watched the sheep. Sheep. That was the daily grind, day after day, filled with bleeding and the sounds of groaning. The groaning, of course, was yours. The bleeding was the sheep's. But hey, you weren't the only one in a bad mood in those days. No, nobody was too happy. See, because a census had been decreed by Rome, which caused one giant transportation problem for the whole country. A census? Why, you might ask, a census? A census had two reasons. The first was so that Rome could get their taxes, and the second was so that Rome could find their future soldiers. Taxes and the draft. Well, those are two reasons that put everybody in a great mood as they're walking for miles and miles by foot. As a shepherd, being a part of a nomadic culture, following the same path year after year from pasture to pasture, did not mean that you were exempt. You and your family also had to travel to your hometown, your hometown of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, also affectionately known as Podunkville of Judea. And it's 4 B.C. And so you can picture your clan and your tent and your campsite over on one of the little arid hills just outside of the town. Now, being a shepherd meant that uh, it wasn't all that it was really cracked up to be, you discovered year after year. It meant that, that sure, there was that King David guy, the one hit wonder, the one claim to fame, but for you, there'd be no schooling for your kids. You'd always be outdoors. And sure, the, the temperature doesn't get below 40 at night, but have you ever spent a night out in 40 degree weather? Or in the rain? It's not exactly cozy. Not by a long shot. And, worse than that, everybody hated shepherds. Or at least that's what it felt like. Nobody wanted the job. If something went missing in a town that you just happened to be traveling past, well, everybody thought the shepherds did it. And worse than that, being a shepherd meant being an outcast in most every way. In fact, the job makes it so that you can raise the lambs for the sacrifices or for the Jewish Passovers, but you are considered too unclean to participate. And hey, you smell like what you've been stepping in all day. So, you know, they had a point. But to be unclean meant to be excluded from worship. It meant to be far from God. You're poor. You're uneducated. You're unclean. And most think you're unsafe. You're a shepherd. And as night fell on those hills of Bethlehem, you would take your sheep and you would bed them down in a pasture that you could keep an eye on or you would shelter them inside of a cave that you would sleep in front of. 
And you can picture your camp, some asleep in the tent, some huddled around the warmth of the firelight, and one sent far from the firelight, far from the warmth of the flames, perched out on a rock to keep his eyes adjusted only to the dark, listening, listening for the sound of any kind of movement that might be somebody walking off with part of your herd. Movement. All quiet, all asleep, all watching in the silence of the night air. And that's when it happened. A man appeared out of nowhere on a hilltop. He was clothed in white and his skin looked like it was burning bronze. The whole camp was filled suddenly with this intense light. Most of the shepherds thought that this was the big one. This was the heart attack finally happening. The others were, had fallen in fear, trembling on the ground. And that's when he said it. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel, a messenger from God, said, fear not. Which helped a little bit. But he went on to say, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, Yes, even you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David, that shepherd from long ago, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now if one shepherd is frightened by one angel, a multitude of angels is going to frighten a whole bunch of shepherds. It was overwhelming. Suddenly across the hillside, a multitude of heaven's hosts were appearing and praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, after something like that, you have to go check it out, right? No, no, you have to go right then and there. Now finding a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, well, that would be hard to know exactly which baby it was. But finding a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying where you feed your livestock, that would be a one-of-a-kind sight. Or at least you'd hope it would be among the mothers of Bethlehem. And so the shepherds went trailing after each other, running in the darkness, tripping over their own robes, running into town, listening for the cries of a newborn baby. Knocking on doors, seeing if anybody has heard anything about a new boy being born. And finally, they found him. The tiny savior of the world. Sleeping in a trough. They we're told that after they found him, and probably congratulated the parents then, verse 17, that they made the saying known that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds, what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. As we transition out of the story, one of the truths that we're confronted with in this passage, one of the truths of Christmas that's presented here, is that peace with God is possible, even for you. Peace with God is possible, even 
for you. That the idea that it's possible for things to be put right again between us and God. That real genuine peace can flow from a Savior who alone can offer peace with God. That that's available even today. And even for you. And I want us this morning to take a, a close look at the two parts of this idea. And the first is this business about even for you. What is this about? Even for you. Think back to the text with me. The shepherds, the people in one of the lowliest stations that there was in Bethlehem, and that's saying something, that they are the first hearers and observers of Jesus' birth. God is being incredibly intentional about each and every detail of Jesus' arrival. He didn't pick shepherds because nobody else was available to take his call. No, he has a purpose behind it. Instead, he's sending a message in giving shepherds these uneducated, unclean, and unwanted people a huge role in his story. And I would speculate that a little later in the story, in verse 18 of chapter 2, when it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, that part of what caused them to wonder was perhaps in part of who it was that told them. I mean, can you imagine if Prince William and Kate Middleton sent their very first birth announcement of their new son, the new prince, to the Waste Management Department of Guilford, England. I didn't know where Guilford was. I had to look it up. Probably not. But you can imagine the wonder that that would stir. But that example, it barely competes with what's happening here. And I think that God is offering us through the shepherds a lesson in humility that this would be a pattern for this Savior, that He would come for those in the, that the world looked down upon and He would do the unexpected. God sends the very first birth announcement of the Savior to those in our world that are considered to be on the bottom rung of the ladder. To let us know that this Savior didn't look at people in the same way that we tend to. We tend to naturally look at people through a resume mindset. And our world adds to this uh, as, as it constantly is forming new stratas, new groups of people, that there's always a new us and a new them. There's always an in and out. But Jesus is cutting through all of that in being the Savior, as verse 10 says, for all the people. As I was uh, considering the shepherd's in this story, I was reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, when he wrote, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low in the world and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
I remember the very first time that I ever can remember hearing those words. I was in high school. And I am heartily ashamed to admit this. Uh, but I remember thinking to myself, well, God, you didn't pick many wise, strong, handsome. But thanks for picking me. Friends, our stubborn pride keeps us from realizing that if we've come into a relationship with God by His gracious gift, that we are nothing more and nothing less than shepherds in God's view of the world, which is the only one that counts. We are the waste management department. We are the unclean. We are the low and despised. We are the things that are nothing. And God has plucked us up from the bottom rung of the ladder and shared with us great news. We deserve none of it. He's intentional about having chosen the broken of the world to humble proud. That it would stir our hearts to wonder that God in heaven has offered any of us any of us, the offer of peace. But does this idea of this phrase of, of even you, does it chafe at your ego? Do we see ourselves that way or has our pride been allowed to slowly breed contempt for our salvation? That our heart has, has begun to, to quietly boast saying that, you know, we, we, really, we really weren't that bad. Or we really aren't that bad. In fact, far from being on the bottom rung of the ladder, maybe we feel pretty high. Have we begun to forget where we came from? Where it is that God plucked us up from? One of the best ways to see if we are, quote-unquote, climbing the ladder is in how we look at the unlovables around us. Those folks who need an extra dose of grace. You know the ones in your world. I know the ones in mine. Do we still care for them? Or have we climbed so high in our view of ourselves and those around us that we have exempted ourselves from any kind of pity? Any kind of a, of a listening ear, a prayer, any kind of, of concern Remember what our Savior said. We oftentimes are remembered by the opposite, but in Matthew 25, Jesus also said, as you did not do it unto the least of these, you did not do it to me. Who is the least of these for you? Who is it that you don't have any compassion left for that God is challenging you with this morning? Reminding you that you were once as unlovable as they and that through Jesus, peace with God was made possible even for you. This past fall, I came across a story that um, captures this idea. In the movie, The Man Who Invented Christmas, uh, that came out about a year or two ago, uh, we're told uh, the story of Charles Dickens. 
uh, and his writing of, of his classic book, A Christmas Carol. At the beginning of the movie, uh, Dickens is uh, portrayed as being a, a kind and generous man who, who just wants to make the world a better place. And at the moment, he's suffering from a classic case of writer's block. He desperately needs to create a new book, uh, but he's stuck until one night when his imagination is ignited as his housemaid is telling his children a bedtime story. And before you know it, the character of Ebenezer Scrooge is born, a miserly skinflint who would evict his own mother. And as these characters like Scrooge and Tiny Tim and so forth come to life in, in Dickens' imagination, then they, they join him in his study. They, they become alive in his, in his presence, in his mind. And, and, and they're always with him. They trail after him wherever he goes. And the movie's just genius in this way. But as the tale unfolds, we begin to learn more and more about Dickens and about his, his upbringing, that there are these hidden sides, these uh, dark spots to his story. And in particular, his father, a drunk, is constantly wasting his money and embarrassing him, and he is someone that Charles despises. And as things begin uh, continue uh, throughout the story, we begin to see that his kind and generous persona is simply the attempt to alleviate the empty brokenness of his own soul. And as it's uh, exposed more and more through his characters and through his father's, then in the midst of all of that, the facade begins to crumble. And in the midst of that crumble, Scrooge, who's been taunting him, who hasn't let him have a moment's peace, is finally confronted. And Dickens looks at Scrooge and he goes, Who are you? Who are you really? And Scrooge's reply is priceless. He says, You know me, Charlie. I'm hunger, I'm cold, I'm darkness. I'm the shadow on your thoughts, the crack in your heart, the stain upon your soul. And I will never, ever leave you. Scrooge is Dickens' secret, sinful side come to life. It's his unforgiveness and bitterness that Charles has been covering up all of his life. And it is not until Scrooge is recognized for who he really is that redemption can be found, that peace can be made. It's the beginning of the gospel. Peace with God. Friends, each and every one of us started out as undeserving people who hid or ignored, or tried to suppress the shadow on our thoughts, the crack in our hearts, the stain upon our soul. Each of us were stuck in sin, not just the, the actions or the omissions that we did on the outside, but the sin that we were born into on the inside. That we were the most undeserving of a Savior, not just because of our outer frailties, but because of our inner sin. And all of our good deeds just attempts to cover the bitter, unforgiving Scrooge in our heart. It's for that reason, above all, 
that this passage can offer good news. Because a Savior has been born for this exact purpose, to make peace possible. To end our struggle, to offer the world filled with scrooges, redemption. Jesus' coming made that possible, even for you. But where are you at when it comes to peace with God? Has he gone from being the Savior of the world, this general concept, to your Savior? Has he gone from being this, this outward religion to being a personal confidence? Friends, my invitation to you this Christmas season is to humble yourself to be a receiver. One of my favorite uh, descriptions of humility from over the years and I, I believe I've shared it with you before, is by Phil Brooks, who said, the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you the real smallness of your greatness. At the end of the day, you and I are nothing more and nothing less than shepherds. It's our true height. And God has graciously announced a Savior to us. I want to invite those of us who have embraced His work as our Savior to humble ourselves and to view others in a way that says, as I have freely received, I will freely share. That doesn't mean that we are giving somebody else the, the keys to our courage or privilege to monopolize our time and become a black hole for resources in our life. We're not saying that. But instead, if we are ones who God has graciously announced a Savior to, then I want us to invite and to, to embrace the work that Jesus has done as, as our Savior to become a, a receiver of the truth that God came even for us and allow that to give us a soft heart towards others around us. My dad uh, oftentimes made a, a, a set a line that he would quote regarding going into the ministry, but I think it applies to any follower of Christ. He said, if you want to be a pastor, son, you have to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. But it is awfully hard in our brokenness of our world, to maintain the hide of our rhinoceros while having a heart of a child. It is easy for us to get those things switched around, to have a thin skin and a hard heart. But the truth that God came even for us, undeserving as we are, is part of what helps to guard our heart from growing hard from not caring, from not listening to being above. It gives us the, the attention that we need to slow down for those who need it. To give grace, that extra measure, for those who need it. And I'm reminded that A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, that it was this exact reason that a congregation that he pastored, struggled so much with that kept them from being able to let in 
at the time, Italian immigrants that launched him out into planting the Christian Missionary Alliance. It is not hard for us that develop hard hearts, but we need this truth to guard us from it. And if you're looking at your life, now on the flip side, you've, you've never humbled yourself to admit the quote-unquote stain on your soul, that your sin, mistakes, errors, reasons to try to cover it up, but your sin needs a Savior. I want to encourage you this Christmas to humble yourself, to repent by confessing your sin to God and become a receiver of that tiny baby born in a manger, the Savior of the world, that has come to make peace with God possible, even for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, our need for soft hearts is in front of us in a way that we need your help to recognize. Lord, we are not always aware of the places in our soul where we struggle with this. We're not always aware of those around us who we have closed our heart off to. So Lord, enliven us this morning. Make us aware of those that you would be putting on our hearts. That you would be whispering to us about the ones that need that extra measure of grace. That with a soft heart we would share it. And Father, for those of us who have never admitted our sin, confessed and repented, and come to being a part of your flock, of being the great shepherd, Father, for those of us who are in that spot this morning, would you invite us? Would you convict us? May we respond in prayer and in tears, repenting of the sin and announcing that you are our personal Savior. We pray all those things to you, Lord, Savior of the world, <laughs> shared with us your greatest gift. Amen.